Welcome to the first episode of a podcast called The Deep Cut, and these will be weekly sessions where myself and Joel Mooneyhan will break down the gospel readings from the previous Sunday throughout the season of Lent, because the readings this season are enormous, expansive, sometimes complex, and uh, we thought it would also be fun to get together and break these down more than we can do in a sermon. So welcome to episode one, Yes, and let's get started. Let's get going. Episode one, the first gospel reading from the lectionary is from the gospel of Matthew, and it's chapter four. It's a familiar passage. Uh, If you're following along at home, then you'll want to turn to Matthew chapter four, uh, verses one through 11. Uh, This time I'll read it. I know that some of the other ones are longer, but I figure we'll go ahead and start with reading this one. Uh, So, starting in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All of this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There it is. Well read. Thank you. I felt like I heard a line from a U2 song in there. I'm looking it up right now. What was the song that was like? What? Uh, uh, hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. Don't no, it's from uh, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Oh, I don't, I don't know that one as well. How to? We're gonna find it because our people need to hear this. They would appreciate it. <laughs> it would. It wouldn't be us if we didn't. Okay, so yeah, it's not unusual for Bono to uh, throw in lines from. <clears throat> certain songs, but I'm pretty sure that song may even be connected to this story. All right, let's see here. Track listing. Wikipedia, my friends. What will we do without it? Vertigo. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, let's look up the Vertigo lyrics. Oh, the internet. I vaguely remember that one. Okay, here we go. It's the little spoken part. Like there's a speaking part in the song. And it says... Uh, he does love that. So it's like a... What would they call that in biblical? Like an intercalator? Yeah. How do you pronounce that? Inter, 
interlocutor. Inter yeah, that's it. Interlocutor. Where Paul inserts like a his um, own like a fictional right antagonist. Right. Is it in there? Yeah, I just I'm reading through the lyrics here. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song by a DJ Khaled called Vertigo as well, and that's why the lyrics don't make sense. Oh yeah, that's quite so, different. Let's uh, let's look it up here. <laughs> Vertigo U2 lyrics. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> yes, all of this can be yours. Just give me what I want, and no one gets hurt. Nice. There's a. Uh... And then he goes on to say. Lights go down, all I know is that you give me something. I can feel your love teaching me how. Your love is teaching me how to kneel. Love that. There's a uh, Dave Matthews song. He, when he did his first solo album um, that is based on this narrative. Oh, yeah. It's called Save Me. Yep. And it actually puts the, the devil in a position of actually wanting Jesus to save him as well. Interesting. It's an interesting little take on it. Mm. Well, with that, yeah. let's talk about the temptation story. Yeah, it's a good story. Who knows how many people have already turned us off? <laughs> we, can, we can edit all that down. Um, yeah, why don't you start? Give us some, just some opening thoughts on this experience. Well, um, this was uh, one of the first classes I took in seminary was a class on the gospel of Matthew. And it was just one of the first times where I realized just how much you could actually get out of a passage uh, by diving into, diving into the Greek and diving into the symbols. And I mean, you always hear about that, but until you're really in a place where you can really get into it, um, there's a lot of stuff in it. But anyway, gospel of Matthew is just something that uh, I, I was exposed a lot to those first uh, couple months in seminary, but um, a couple things about it. One, <clears throat> I think it's important that we, we typically understand the story or call the story the temptation of Jesus. And I think a better, a, a better way to understand that word is, um, is testing of Jesus. And one of the ways I've, I've learned to understand the difference is that temptation often comes at you at your weakness mm -hmm. and testing comes at you at your strengths. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, both God and the devil test people, but for different reasons. And, um, but one of the things that happens in testing is that, uh, your strength is proven mm -hmm. and your strength is, um, is realized, you fully realized and fully manifested. And I think that's an important thing, especially going into Lent, uh, as we, this passage kind of mirrors what we're heading into, as a congregation and as individual believers, that uh, the purpose of it is to strengthen you, and to um, to it, it's a it's a time of somewhat of encouragement because you're you're learning um, how to really lean on God and be encouraged by that instead of seeking it from other things. Um, another thing that's important is that this wasn't just a one and done thing. Uh, we. You see this, you read it, Jesus was tempted and he goes on about his business. But, I mean, this was something that Jesus had to continually deal with. And, um, I mean, right up into the Garden of Gethsemane, and I know we'll cover a little bit of that uh, later. 
Um, trying to think of what else. I, well, it's true that he does not graduate from testing trials, uh, you know, as, as you know, the night before he dies, he's still dealing. He's in the garden just like, hey, <laughs> if we could do something else. You yeah. Know? Um, he wasn't really interested in <clears throat> crucifixion, right. but he is. Um, so even all the way to the end, really, just the struggle to maintain um, course. And so that's, yeah, this isn't, a, like you said, a one and done where he comes down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane's Addiction, great song, coming down the mountain, the mountain <laughs> song. Um, you know, and, and he's done with that. Right. He's, he spends the rest of his days dealing with whether or not he can trust God, whether or not he can... Um, stay the course, remain faithful, all those things. So, yeah. And that, that also, um, the whole idea of why we do the lectionary and going through that together as a church is the lectionary. Part of what it does is it does remind you of the the cyclical nature of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there are seasons in life where things are, are good and they're celebratory. And there are seasons of life where you're feeling tested and you're feeling, uh, weaker mm-hmm. perhaps and these stories going through Jesus's life are a great way to remind us too that Jesus walked those roads as mm-hmm. well uh, and that and to do those together as a church as a discipline is another uh, another great source of encouragement that you're yeah you're doing these things you know lent is something that we do alone but it's helpful to know that other people are also doing it alone. Mm -hmm. You're doing it alone together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the fact that Jesus continues to go through that uh, is a, is a, is another great reminder of, of God's accessibility to us. Let's talk about the actual, you know, the, the three temptations that, yeah confront Jesus or Jesus is confronted with and um, you know just a couple things I'll say about them is they all reflect the Exodus story the mm-hmm. Moses story um, breaking them down it's the first one is hunger the second one is faithfulness in God the third one is this idolatrous testing ground of uh, yeah. you know elevating something that's good to the divine or testing God even for that matter but um and each of these has a, uh, a direct connection to the Exodus story. Hunger in Exodus 16, that's the whole manna story. We're hungry, Moses. You brought us out here to die. Right. Um, great story. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And then <clears throat> Exodus 17 is the trusting God. The idolatry connection is the 32, which is the golden calf story. Yeah. Which is um, both humorous and sad. Um, so each of these are connected to Israel's history um, and what theologians like to say is that a lot of what Jesus does here, but in other parts of especially Matthew's gospel, the way he puts it together is that Jesus essentially relives Israel's story or at least pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, the biggest difference being he's succeeding where Israel Fails. failed. Yeah. And um, so you see, and really in the first four, five, six chapters of Matthew, it, it truly is almost in outline form, the Exodus story. Mm-hmm. Um, from the birth, having to run for his life 
or the family having to run for his life as Moses did, as Jesus had to do with Herod. Um, you know, because you had the Pharaoh kills yeah. all the young boys. Yeah, Herod orders the murder of all the young boys. Right, and then there's that inversion of the yeah. Uh, flee to flee from Egypt and Israel, mm-hmm. but then Jesus escapes to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Matthew mm-hmm. connects that coming out of Egypt with the Hosea, uh, the prophet of Hosea saying, "Out of Egypt I will call my son." Mm-hmm. Which, in its original context, the son was Israel. So Israel is yeah. acting and living as a son of God here on earth. And um, so, but Matthew appropriates that text. Mm-hmm. The experience of Jesus coming, both going to Egypt for safety, but also coming back from Egypt. And then there's the baptism of Jesus, which is mirrored in the crossing of the sea. And then they immediately... Into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. For 40 years for the Israelites, and then here we have 40 days. Um, So, you know, um, so Jesus is walking through some of those same stories. Um, I think it's really cool how Matthew does that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, these three temptations are deeply connected to Israel's history. The other thing, too, is, and, it, and it's, I'm, I'm looking at the um, readings for Sunday, uh, and, you know, the, gen, the, the garden story was in those readings, mm-hmm. too. You know, so we have, we have the story of uh, the Garden of Eden and the serpent and the, the temptation of, you know, the man and the woman, and they're essentially the same. Yeah. You know, there's the hunger there's the the serpent saying it was really testing the faith of these two like did god really say that uh, you would die yeah and so on that's another thing too so uh, speaking of how grammar can make a difference in how you're reading the passage um, when when the devil says uh, if you are the son of god that word is probably best understood as sense you're the mm-hmm. son of God. And what's interesting to me about that is that the devil in these passages is he's treating Jesus's sonship with God as a statement of fact. Yep. This is a foregone conclusion. This is something that apparently is agreed upon. And, uh, and what he says is not incorrect. No. And he's... And he's even, I mean, he's, if you want to, I mean, he's exegeting the passages. I mean, the, the tempter is, he's, he's theologically on, mm-hmm. except he's asking what's, what's wrong with it is that he's using even correct understanding of passages uh, from one point of view to t- uh, see if Jesus will use those things for himself yep. instead of to glorify God, which is where the fallacy comes into play. That, yep. um, yeah, even if, even, even a, a rightly intended or a, a, a correctly understood passage applied incorrectly is still mm-hmm. false. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of this tricky thing that a lot of times the, the things that tempt us or the things that test us the most don't come at us from a dishonest perspective or a dishonest place. And a lot of times they come from a good place. They come from a good place. Um, So that's temptation is often just good things elevated to the wrong status of like either divinity or, um, you know, for self uh, fulfillment, whatever. I mean, it's, that's the garden story. Yeah. 
You know, don't you want to be like God? And really the underlying temptation in the garden story is the serpent is saying, it sounds to me like God is holding out on you. Yeah. Um, And, you know, nobody wants that. So they they reach in for more, reach up for more. And, um, you know, and sin or temptation to sin is not usually, as you pointed out, something that's overtly bad. It's usually fairly good and maybe even noble, but there's some small print to it that we're not... We're not yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about how sin is uh, no sin is is bad in and of itself. Like no, no, there's nothing that's evil for the sake of being evil, mm-hmm. um, and where something becomes evil is when it's the good. And the way C.S. Lewis takes uh, does it is he says that any sin is the good not taken far enough, mm-hmm. and that uh, and and that also then goes into the whole idea that sin is that um is to miss a mark to fall short of a mark the greek hamartia yeah that's the word is an archery term for Mm -hmm. um for not shooting far enough for not shooting on target yeah and uh and we've talked too about how when paul says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god he's actually being redundant because that word means to fall short so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a double whammy there but um so that but I like what C.S. Lewis says about it is because it's it's not saying that um, it, it kind of, <clears throat> it's this idea that really when you sinned, it isn't necessarily that you've disobeyed or, or something. I mean, it, it is sometimes, but oftentimes it's because you really just didn't go far enough with the good yeah. and or that you misunderstood how the good should be applied. And so what we find in this story is a very good example of that, of like, okay, the temptation for Jesus is to stop short of Mm -hmm. what God has, you know, planned for him or to circumvent God and take those for himself. Right. Because each of these temptations that are rooted in the Exodus story, um, you know, the, the, the tempter is tempting Jesus to do those for himself, whereas in the Exodus story, God did all this for, God provided food, God, you know, et cetera. And um, so, to circumvent God is the temptation to run ahead of God. Sometimes it's a phrase that's used. And, you know, to C.S. Lewis's point that you've talked about is uh, in this story, we find a good example of how to go far enough. Because as right. you point out, like sin, when we commit sin, that's usually what we think of as like, well, we went too far. But if we think about it deeper, we didn't, we didn't go far enough. Yeah. You know, the, what's beyond the sin is the thing we're truly looking trying for. to get sin is just an exit ramp too early. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where we get lost. And there's that to, I think that's bolstered by the fact that if you, if you're using a target analogy, if you're using the, the archery analogy that, you know, missing the mark or falling short, that means there is a target you're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. There is something that you're aspiring to. Now the comfort I find in that is that we have that template in the life of Jesus. And so we know from his teachings and from the life he lived, what we're going for and it's there. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, sin more often than not is, is really where there's something good we're trying to get Mm -hmm. and we've misapplied how we're to get there or we've, um, or we haven't realized that really what we're the thing beyond the thing is the thing we're trying to get. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, uh, anger or lust or uh, greed or I mean pick one typically those begin with something that's a good and holy thing that we have just 
we haven't really set our sights on the, the correct application of it. Yeah, so if I'm, <clears throat> with that, if I'm, pull, if I'm trying to pull some sort of relevant application from this story, it would be to keep going. Yeah. You know, when we're confronted with, and all of these temptations are the three carnal. <laughs> yeah. These are all the same. Right. All temptations fall into these categories, the physical, the spiritual, the, you know, the social, um, or personal, you know, so it's like they're not really going to change. And so in this we get like a microcosm, you know, of, you know, the story of Jesus is like a microcosm of how we should go about experiences where we're tempted. And, it, it you know, if the redeeming lesson in here is, is, is that, then it's going to be keep going, you know. And that's what he does. He... He fights back with scripture, which is interesting, um, but he he does not capitulate. And in the end, God tends to there. God's there. Yep. Uh, there was another thing I, I wanted to talk about too. That so we've got the motif of Moses and the Exodus story, but there's another one that comes through in Matthew particularly, and that is the conflict between the kingdom of heaven and, and the kingdom of earth. Yeah. And that's another thing that's echoed through uh, his and in particular his and John's. But, uh, but one of the ways that that's manifested in Matthew's gospel in particular is that any time, any other time that the word that we're translating is test, the Greek word is uh, perazo. Anywhere else that's used in Matthew's gospel, it's used in relation to the religious leaders uh, coming to test Jesus. Mm -hmm. And every single time, Jesus refutes them with scripture. But there is this, uh, even in this passage, there are parallels to how Jesus is interacting in, in conflict with the kingdoms of the world uh, throughout, mm -hmm. right up until he's he's face to face with Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, here and there and then throughout, but here and there specifically are these very vivid descriptions of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdoms of the world and how those things are in conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just it's a cool literary thing that, that that's going on, but it's definitely a theme in Matthew that the uh, we're kind of uh, resident aliens. Mm -hmm. uh, if if we're if we're on this journey with Jesus, then we're we're actually part of a kingdom that um, is in conflict with the mm -hmm. world around us. Yep. <clears throat> and the you know the early Christians found not just a template for dealing with difficulties, um, you know, where we're tempted to distrust God or whatever. But they also found great comfort in this story because it says a few things about the nature of God, one of which being apparently God is not that uncomfortable with being close to uh, temptation and mm -hmm. sin. He's not somewhere else. Um, he's in the thick of it. And Jesus as this, you know, as the incarnate son of God is placed in all the same situations that we're placed, that we find ourselves in. Right. And he's okay with that. 
you know? And in fact, it, it appears that that's what God wants him to experience. It's really also the same answer to the question, why was Jesus baptized in the river by John, whose baptism was for repentance? Like, did Jesus, was Jesus a sinner? And it's, it's really the same answer. You know, it's like Jesus wants to go where, and God wants Jesus to go where, you know, the failures are, yeah. where the failings are. <clears throat> and in that river um, is where redemption happens. And so the early Christians found a, a good deal of solace and encouragement and grace in this story because, yes, there's a template there. Learn your scriptures. Right. Deal with temptation from yeah. God's perspective. But also, oh, Jesus has been through that too. Yeah, and God isn't asking you to do anything or go anywhere that he hasn't been willing and gone himself. I mean, right up to death on a cross. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were, the question came up about, you know, whether Jesus' time on earth was a way for God to learn empathy. And I said, I I think it's it's a little... That may be a backwards way of understanding it, that the reason God came to earth is because he has empathy for us to begin with. Because anything that is in, anything that we have is uh, in its right expression is from God in the first place. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that, yeah, we worship a God that isn't uh, so far above us that he's not interested in experiencing those things. I mean, right up into the, I think we've talked about this before too, that even the name Israel means somebody who Mm -hmm. fights and struggles with God, that Mm -hmm. God's okay with the struggle and being down in the dirt and, um, and walking through it with us. Yep. And I, I like that. Yep. And there is something again, heading into Lent that is, um, there's comfort in that, that, you know, whatever it is that we're struggling with or, uh, going through that it's something that God has subjected himself to as well, willingly mm-hmm. uh, for our sake. Absolutely. Is there anything else coming to the close um, of our time? I'm trying to think. The closing of our time, not the close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that's, that's kind of it as far as what I've got. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like this quotation from uh, uh, Melinda. I'm going to not get her last name correct. Quivick, professor at Luther Seminary. She says, "We hear of the snake's apple on this day as well, because what happens to Jesus in his encounter with the tempter is an elaborate additional description of how the knowledge of good and evil can twist our minds and hearts." How stuck we are each day with the tempter in the guise of a snake and an apple. Yeah. Well said, Ms. Quivick. Good job. Yeah. So, yeah, let me close with this Hebrews text because, again, I mean, just to reiterate the way um, the early Christians interpreted this story. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, we'll close with this. But uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16, since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, 
with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's like three things in this text. I mean, it, the three verses, three things. But right. the first is simply the in verse 14, obviously spoken to a beleaguered community of Christ followers. <laughs> uh, you know, hold fast to your confession, our confession. And in verse 15, this encouragement of, hey, our Lord, you know, uh, pictured here as a high priest, you know, there's a lot of priestly language in this book, but um, is 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 not unable to sympathize with us. Yeah, he's not removed. Yeah, because he's been, he's walked straight through it. And then the outcome, of course, is that we can approach him with confidence that he's not going to. It turns out Jesus likes sinners. And, um, a whole lot. A whole lot. And so it's, and that's what he came for. So uh, he's okay with being close to us and we can approach that with confidence. So I, I really like the way, I mean, very early in the church's history, they're starting to interpret Jesus's like humanness mm-hmm. um, as a good thing. Yeah. And it's, it, you can almost, you know, you can almost picture approaching Jesus as a person and saying, I messed up or whatever. And just saying, I get it. Yeah. Like let's, he would say, I almost messed up too. Yeah. I nearly did. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but then, and I like how you've talked about in the past that Lent is a season to fail. Oh yeah. It's totally set up to make you fail. And, um, and that, I mean, I, my joke is that the, it's the 40 days minus the Sundays and the Sundays are yeah. kind of there to give you a, a break, which is not really what it's there for, but it's just a, um, <clears throat> but that even, even in Lent, like it's 40 days, it's mm-hmm. not, it's actually more than 40 days, but it's, <laughs> it's like you couldn't even do that. Uh, but, but it is kind of an invitation to, to be okay with the, the fact that you're, you're going to screw up Yeah, and it happens, but yep. Jesus is not holding a scorecard. Let's just get up and move forward. Yeah, let's keep going. Yep. So. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that I concludes guess. episode one. Cool. We'll see you all next week. That's right.